What's going on, family? What's going on? What's going down with Chicken? Welcome to another episode of John the Soul. I got the pleasure of talking to the hardest working man in the comic book industry. I'm talking about somebody who not only gave us uh, who, I, who I call the wandering Superman, uh, the Samaritan, uh, that I first found on Peep Game Comics with an X.com, but he also gave us uh, some other books that I was looking at today. Um, one which I found very interesting called Origins Unknown. It's two of those books, and then he got the villain, which I was reading earlier today. Ladies and gentlemen, Victor Dandridge. How you doing, brother? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I can't complain, man. I can't complain. I'm, I'm happy to be interviewing uh, greats like yourself again, man. You know what I mean? Man, uh, you blessed me with that one. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. I, I was looking at my, um, I guess you could call it my catalog, and I said, God damn. I didn't just about talk to everybody. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I mean, there's maybe just a hand, literally a handful of people, like maybe five or six people that I want to talk to. And you was on that list um, that I hadn't had a chance to talk to yet. So first, um, let's introduce you to the audience. Um, uh, tell us, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, a little bit of background, where you're from and how you got into comics. Sure. So uh, my name is Victor Dandridge, born and raised from Columbus, Ohio. I am the uh, the mind behind Vantage In-House Productions. It's a uh, self-publishing, creator-owned imprint that I started in 2010. Uh, it's been my full-time job since starting it in that great October. So I just celebrated wow. nine years okay. of making comics being my full-time, 100% uh, job. I call Excellent. myself a stay-at-home mogul. Excellent, man. Congratulations, man. Thank a lot of people are trying to, trying to take it to that level. Absolutely. And and I, I call myself the excuse killer. You know, at the time, you know, I was married. I have children. Um, you know, I'm, I'm engaged now. Uh, my, me and the first wife didn't quite make it work. Right. But, uh, you know, things happen. And, you know, I, I am happy in my in my world right now. I've got, you know, a two year old daughter that I stay at home with. My other yeah. children are all in school. Okay. Um, I've got five children total, you know, four sired, one acquired. And uh, they're my life, man. They're why I do what I do. Beautiful, so, beautiful, beautiful. You can't stay. You can't help but stay motivated in that type of situation. Tell me about it, because these kids eat. My sons are all bigger <laughs> than me. I can't stand it. Yeah, man, that's that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So when I was looking at your writing, um, you have a classical feel to your writing. Am I Thank off? You. When I, to us, classical. To me, classical is like the '80s, '90s, more like the '80s kind of vibe. Um, you know, before uh, comics got too, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Salacious or something? I don't know. Ooh, tell, ooh that's a good word for it. Tell that's me, a real good word for it. Like, um, I, the last subscription that I had was the Teen Titans. That was a long time okay. ago. And the first copy I got, I opened up the book, and it was uh, Nightwing and, um, and uh, Starfire. Okay. In the bed together. And, you know, hmm. I was like, eh, hey, you know I was confused, man, because, you know, on the, on the one hand, the comics always had a kind of, uh, you know, like a pristine kind of, you know, moral kind of a thing. And then but on the flip side, you know, now they add in which, you know, a teenage boy would kind of like it kind of adding the sexual piece to it. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it, it threw me. I mean, I ain't gonna fight it, but it kind of threw me. So <laughs> to your 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 style to me reminds me of more of a classical. If I'm off, that's fine. But just describe a little bit of your comic book style in terms of writing. Well, 
as a as a creator, what my my goal is is to actually create things for different audiences. Okay. So I, I keep that in mind with the content that I'm putting out, so that it fits what I'm actually trying to accomplish. It's not just tell a story or or tell it in 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 any old kind of way. I want to be very specific. So with the Samaritan, the Samaritan is a very mature audience oriented story. So we can go a little bit harder. Now nothing necessarily gratuitous, mm-hmm. but we can we can we can push that limit of of what is acceptable content to a certain age group. Uh, with Origins Unknown, that one is is absolutely more teenage friendly. That's that's our teenage title. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to be too over the top. Um, if we were comparing it to movies, that is certainly my PG level, you know, kind okay. of movie piece. Okay. So everything that I'm creating um, is is based on that ni- that notion of recognizing who my audience is intending to be. Um, when it comes to like when I came into comics, um, it was actually the death of Superman that brought me in. So I kind of came in at like a very interesting time period where there was, there was a lot of great classic, you know, comic material Mm -hmm. and then some brand new ground that was being uncovered like in the, in the immediate future. I mean, we're talking when I came in, it's on, it's on the back ends of, of, um, the 1989 Batman movie. Uh, we're talking Batman the Animated Series, X-Men the Animated Series, okay. and then Wizard Magazine, the formation of Image, Valiant taking off. So like I'm coming in at like oh, this wow. prime time of content mm-hmm. and seeing how the game is changing. Mm-hmm. So it was it was right, man. It was perfect. So, you know, I definitely had more classic orientations. I mean, I was reading new new books, but at the same time, I was also being introduced to older materials through my dad and my uncles okay. who were like, you know, these are the comics that we grew up on. This is the real, real like your yeah. Wolverine is cool. But let me tell you about Black Bolt, King of the Inhumans. Like it oh, was wow. that level of intro. So, okay. yeah, I had the best. So uh, do you have a favorite uh, comic book writer um, from that period? From that period? Oh, man. Um it would it's that's a tough one to say from that period i was so enamored with the death of superman series i would say the entire collection okay. of writers that they had from that series now did you was, have a copy of the book oh i had all the co- i still have a, a copy of the uh the giant poster of the gravestone oh wow i still have that um wow. but yeah roger stern louise simonson like okay. all of those creators they came up with something that just resonated, and I think like it, it, it worked. I mean, I was ten years old, and I didn't like to read as a kid. That's that's the preface to this whole thing. I didn't like to read, um, and it wasn't that I had any difficulties. It was just Huck Finn didn't matter to <laughs> a black kid in Columbus, Ohio. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like it just wasn't there. But I was I was all about my pop culture. So when you say like Superman's gonna die, I'm like, well, well, how does that happen? Like. Right. I want to read that. Like, show me that story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for for those guys to come in and, and kind of open my eyes to what comics could be, those were absolutely my favorite of the day. There's no two ways about that. Now, um, I, I, would, would say, I would say that the closest I would come to that that feeling was yeah. Crisis on Infinite Earths. Ooh, man. That hit I was, me. I was, when I saw that cover with Superman holding Kara oh. and crying and shit, man, you talk about somebody getting hit in the chest with feelings. Oh. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. And I didn't I didn't touch crisis till I was in college. OK, I was wow. scared of that. I was scared of that book, man, because I, I knew what it was. 
And I'm like, man, I'm not ready for <laughs> you know, the, the amount of destruction and turmoil and, and crazy cool that yeah. this is. Yeah. Once I read it, man, it took me, I think it took me like a month to read that whole thing because I poured over every bit of artwork. I mean, George Perez, man, he, yeah. come, come on, I, I can't even say enough. I met George uh, last year. No, no, no. It was it was this year. Mm-hmm. This year at a um a C2E2. I actually moderated a panel for him and, and Marv Wolfman. And oh wow. Man, you t- listen, Those are listen, legends, man. Tell me about it. And little old me on stage with him trying to conduct conversation. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I, you talk about at the at the feet of the gods, man. Seriously. I uh, I think I met uh George Perez at a portfolio day many years ago at Back then it was Merlin uh, College of Art. I think it's changed its name. But okay. um, that's the first time I found out that when they draw the books, they're drawing on like three foot by two foot boards. You, yeah, you know what man. I mean? And everything. And back then they were actually inking. So we're talking, let me see, what year was that? Uh, that was probably 86, maybe 85, okay. maybe something like that. Um, that I, it was some portfolio day and I, I had said in my head, I'm going to be an illustrator. And then this kid, the Asian kid, about four foot and change was carrying around his poster. It was taller than him. It was a drawing that he did a Bruce Lee with number two pencil. And it looked like a goddamn photograph. Wow. I was like, I need to be a graphic designer. Cause I don't need to be no <laughs> illustrator. Listen. <laughs> Story of my life. I'm not even gonna joke with you. I had I had planned to be a comic book illustrator yep. from the time I was ten yep. up until I got into college. Uh-huh. And I decided I don't like drawing that much. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. So the writing thing, were you writing as a kid? Was you one of those guys with the spiral bound notebooks always in your backpack? I mean, how did that happen? So in a weird sort of way, I, I guess the writing was always there. Okay. Um, but what I what I train myself to do is keep a lot of my stories in my head. Okay. So it would be a matter of just recycling this story beats over and over and over and over again mm-hmm. to make sure that I understood and knew what they were. And if I could if I could remember it, I felt like it was a good story. I felt like I was a, oh, okay. a early uh, you know, critiquer of ideas. And if an idea didn't stick, then it wasn't that good anyway. So just let it go. Um, when I was 13, I actually started like on a, on an old like word processor, started writing up some ideas and it's for a series called Omnibus that I, I did like one little like piece of, but I, I, I hate this piece cause I actually did the artwork for it and I, I hate it. Um, but if you go on any planet, it's actually still on there. So it's one of those things that keeps me humble. But, um, I, with Omnibus, I actually had plotted out 15 years worth of comic books. If I released everything wow. monthly, it was 150 issues. Okay. And 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 I, it was like 150 issues plus uh, uh, annuals. And it would equate to roughly 15 years worth of comic books. Okay. Wow, so man. I still got that in the back burner, though. Okay. All right. All right. So, uh, so what we got so far? We got that you uh, you grew up interested in comics. Your peoples turned you on to comics. Absolutely. Um, um, are you doing the same with your kids? Oh my God, my kids have such an indoctrination when it comes to comic books. It's almost unfair. Like, <laughs> okay, I, I almost don't find it fair when you know when they're at school and other kids are like, "Oh, I like superheroes," and then they start grilling them on things, <laughs> and I'm like, "Guys, y'all can't." 
come on, man, that's not right. Right, right, right. That's not right. You know, they're like, you know, oh, you like Silver Surfer? Like, yeah, I like Silver Surfer. Like, what's his real name? And I'm like, come on, guys. Like, no one, no one your age should really know that. And they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, but Norm Rad is his name, Dad, and that's what it is. I'm like, okay, okay, wow. okay. Now, here, now here's a tricky thing, right? I don't know how old your kids are, but my son just turned 25, I think. Okay. Now, you know, I was in the comics or whatever and everything, but he never bought a comic in his life. He was buying manga. Oh, okay. I remember running through Borders Bookstores, rest in peace, Borders Bookstores, trying to get the latest copy of Naruto before it all sold out. So so how did your kids, uh, or did they escape the whole manga piece? Not at all. Like, okay. my boys definitely are into it. Uh, my daughter is heavily into Sailor Moon. Okay. Um, my, Aww, my, that's yeah. so cute. <laughs> it's adorable. It's adorable, that's beautiful, right? man. Yeah. You know, she's 10, and, and she found Sailor Moon kind of on her own. Okay. Um, I know her mom, you know, really likes Sailor Moon as well. So they kind of had that thing of watching Sailor Moon together. And uh, like my my oldest son is into Dragon Ball very heavily. Um, the my, now, my just so I'm clear, are we talking manga or the anime? Both. Wow. Okay. All like, right. So that's serious. Like a bunch of the anime, and he's he's looking up the manga now so he can compare the two. Wow. Um, I swear, if he put that much energy in his homework, the boy would be a genius. Right? <laughs> Not even, I mean, just would be a genius. But the others uh, were definitely into Naruto. I mean, like, okay, so Victor Matthew, my firstborn, he actually got, uh, I think it's an Adidas uh, windbreaker. And it happened to be of a similar design of Naruto's. And he's like, yeah, like that's wow. what this is. My Naruto jacket, and like as soon as he puts it on, he starts doing the Naruto run. This that's kid cute. is fifteen. That's He's cute. fifteen. He'll do it right now. Like that's it's beautiful. nothing. It's the funniest thing in the world. So, so yeah, they they definitely got it. And and of course, you know, we'll do the conversation. Who's better, Goku or Superman? Mm-hmm. Could you know, uh, One Punch Man beat the Hulk? Like we'll we'll have those conversations for fun. Mm-hmm. But you know. For them, they, they, they've got the wide range of considerations. Me, I was more of a regular comic book guy. Now, and coming from a writer's perspective, do you have a take on the manga that your kids, you know, uh, uh, you know gravitate towards? Is it really cutesy kind of stories? Uh, is there any time you ever thought about delving into that as a, you know, a medium? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I'm always up for a challenge. And any... Any particular medium uh, that's worth consuming is worth me trying to write. You okay. know, I, I I can't, I don't, I don't consider myself strictly a comic book writer. Okay, um, it's low key why I called it Vantage in House Productions, so I can make whatever I want. You know, it wasn't just comics. I can make movies. I can make TV. I can make you know prose novels. I can do whatever I want mm-hmm. under this imprint, and it all fits because they're all productions. Okay, so yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's talk about that. Vantage in-house productions. Tell us about some of the projects that you've done and some projects that you have in the pipeline. Sure. So we started off everything with the Samaritan. Um, it was our first release in 2011, and it ran from 2011 to 2013. Okay. And it was a, a seven-issue series that very much so, like you called it, a wandering Superman. The mm-hmm. uh, the movie references that I give is it's it's Road Roadhouse meets Unbreakable. Okay. And 
The whole notion is this guy that has such a very grounded sense of, of being a superhero, no costume, no code name, and he just moves around from bad neighborhood to bad neighborhood to clean it up, and then he bangs out to the next neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, the rationale behind it is he doesn't want the bad guys to see him coming. You know, right. he's a character that doesn't fly over the problems. He's down there at the, you know, in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. He wants to see and experience what the actual issue is. And that's the thing that I love about the Samaritan series is one, once you like really start to break it down, it's a series of escalations of responsibility. So mm-hmm. the first person that Smith intervenes on is a child mm-hmm. who should never really be held responsible for the world that they're brought into. Right. So that first issue when he's interjecting for the little boy for Jamal, like it's it's him taking on this role because that little boy shouldn't have to. Mm-hmm. And in every person beyond that that he goes uh, up against or interacts with is becoming a- increasingly more responsible for the world that they're in. Mm-hmm. And that's how he interacts with them. So when he gets to yucky, he's like, okay, look, I'm gonna give it to you. Maybe you are under the influence of this drug. So I'm gonna offer to help. Mm-hmm. The moment that things kind of take a turn, he's like, all right, I'm not offering you anything. You're getting help whether you want it or not. Right. Boom. You know, uh, the, the domestic violence situation, a similar circumstance. Okay. I, I can help you, but if you choose to stay, right. that's your choice, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's what the Samaritan is all about. Uh, we, we came from that one and we started, uh, Oh, I'm sorry. I, I did the Samaritan with my brother Ren McKenzie. I got to give some love to him. Okay. Uh, he did a phenomenal Excellent job. Artist. Uh, Excellent yes, artist. Excellent yes. artist, yo. Especially yes. that 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 scene where he was he was he was putting the discipline on the landlord who was a, yeah. was a pedophile. When I saw Listen. that spread, I, I I put the book down. I was like, God damn! <laughs> it reminded me of some of the illustration I saw in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles back in the yes. day. Yes. People who don't know, that was a serious book. It wasn't no cutesy shit like you no, think it is. No, that was no. hardcore. It was like the hand and and, and, and fucking Wolverine for real kind yes. of a thing. And when I saw like, that, I was like, yo. 100%, 100%. I mean, well, really, the Turtles was, it was a commentary on how dark comics had gotten. And mm. so they were, like, Eastman and Laird were, were talking about how mainstream books had gotten so crazy and dark, uh, specifically Daredevil, which is what the whole Turtles were based off of. It's oh. all Daredevil shout-outs. I didn't know so that. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, you know, when the when the turtle, like, the little boy that had the Turtles in his, like, little, you know, uh, aquarium thing, when he gets bumped into, it's the old man that Matt Murdock pushes out of the way. The same substance that changes the turtles is what blinds Mac Murdock. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, all right, yeah, yeah. all right. I oh, didn't no. know that. Okay, oh, 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 it gets, oh, it gets crazy. deep, brother. All right, all right. Deep. Okay, yeah. but like, okay, so like, even even going like even deeper. Uh-huh. Okay, so Daredevil fights what group of ninja? The hand. No, no, what? no, no, no. I'm sorry. No, uh, no, you're right. It's the hand. Right, the I get them confused fight. with move with, with a Wolverine, but yeah, it was all the same group, the hand, uh huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. They all fight the hand, yeah. but the turtles fight the foot. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, I know, all I remember is Shredder and the and the big giant rat guy. Okay, yeah, all right, all right. Yeah, it's it's the like foot. Daredevil oh, fights the hand. All right. the turtles fight the foot. Daredevil was taught how to fight by a guy named Stick. The turtles were fought or taught how to fight by Splinter. Right. Like, there's all oh, these little. I got you. Okay. Yeah, it's in there. It's in there. Wow. So, so, so yeah, they were they were kind of spoofing the violence in comics the way one was it One Punch Man is spoofing yes. the animation nowadays. Exactly. 
Exactly. Wow. Okay. So that's that's the thing. Like that's when you see like comics can be so much more than just yeah. quick you know, fights and tight stories. They're yeah. commentary. They're, they're political. They're everything. Everything. And this is why I dug the Samaritan because it reminded me of this quote. And I hope I'm getting it right. It was a period of time when DC was trying to do like a little social, you know, kind of liberal commentary. And mm-hmm. then there was this, it was, um, I think it was uh, Green Lantern and, and Green Arrow. And long story short, uh, Green, it was a black man who was kind of disheveled. And I yep. think he was talking to either Green Arrow or Green, Green Lantern. He said, you know, you guys are fighting all the aliens and stuff out in space, but... Do you care about, you know, black people down here or something along those lines? I actually made a video about it. 100%. And so when I saw, when I, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say that that was uh, written by Danny O'Neill and uh, art by uh, Neil Adams. Yeah, Neil Adams. That's my man. I mean, he did, um, I I love what he did in Batman. But when I saw the Samaritan, I was like, there it is. That's what it would look like. Thank you. You know what I mean? Because there's a line in, in David Banner's new stuff. You know, Superman don't give a super fuck if black kids die. And so yep. when I saw the Samaritan, I was like, oh, my God. Thank That's you. what it's supposed to be. Thank you. Not Thank not you. that we can't have aliens and, and you know, cutesy little shit, but it's, the, the, the comic book industry is light on, you know what I mean? You know, the kind of commentary that, that matters kind of a thing. True. And yeah. and what's funny is, like I said, we started this book in March of 2011, right. and we couldn't know how a part of the zeitgeist we were. So Smith wears a hoodie, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole reason for it is a black man in a hoodie is a common feature. Like, it, you go to any hood, you see a black dude in a hoodie, right. done. Right. And that was the whole point was it's to help him blend in, and no one will look at him as anything other than just a big black dude in a hoodie. Yeah, We couldn't have predicted that like a year later, Trayvon Martin would have been, you know, categorized and classified and, and, and totally profiled as a black guy in a hoodie. Mm-hmm. And, and now it's this threat commentary. Yeah. And so we've got this hero that specifically dons this, you know, quote unquote uniform mm-hmm. to, to, you know, fit within the hood. And here's this kid in a, in a more so affluent area right. wearing the same outfit. And now he's a threat. Now he's a target. We had we couldn't even have known that that was coming, yeah. but how 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 dead on how perfect. And then you know we're talking. Let's see, we ran till 2013. Two years later, we have the launch of Luke Cage, the Marvel Netflix series, mm-hmm. and it's the exact same emphasis. Yeah. You know, he's got the hoodie on, a black guy in the hood, and he's supposed to represent this powerful structure mm-hmm. while still being a part of the community. Right. Like we were we were 100 percent. A part of the zeitgeist. It was it was brilliant. It was wonderful, and I'm I'm crazy proud of this book. I feel like you guys were ahead of the curve. I, I really yes. do. I really absolutely. Do. Now, absolutely. Um, other projects you've worked on. Oh yes. So we've got uh, Origins Unknown that I did with Jacob Newell, um, and it's kind of my like a, a an intro sto- series, if you will. I I, uh, I got to interrupt here because I'm I got to yeah. say I'm a little mad at you on them two pieces because come on now, come both on. of them ended on a cliffhanger, man, and it All messed me up, bro. Especially the first listen, one listen. with the kid with the the father with the remote. I was like, no, what happened, <laughs> man? <laughs> you know. Actually, so if you get the whole thing, okay, and I'll, I'll send this to you. 
Um, I have them in a trade paperback that's not on Indie Planet. But oh, wow. it's six short stories okay. that all of them end in a cliffhanger. Okay. And the whole thing was I just wanted something so that people could, uh, one, be introduced to my writing style. Mm-hmm. But the whole project is all of the main characters get introduced to a hidden secret or or a heritage that they didn't know about. And it's going to change their fate and possibly the fate of the world. Beautiful. And it's, it's just the setup, boom, and then stop. And then see, you know, because I like to challenge how we consume stories. You know, back in the day, before comic shops, it was a rare thing for you to get a whole story, especially yeah. if it was split up over multiple issues. Mm-hmm. So I like playing around with some of those old school methods of telling stories because, one, it keeps me sharp. Yeah. And it's kind of an homage to where comics came from. And it, it gave me a not a Twilight Zone feel, but kind of kind of like a tales of suspense. I don't know. I'll it, take all of that. It gave all me that, that kind of feeling. I was like, okay, he's switching it up. He's switching it up. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, so um, all some more projects. And then tell us about the cons that you participate. You mentioned oh, one. So man, uh, let's go. I, all over the con circuit. Uh, I, I spent many years as an advocate ambassador for Wizard World Comic Con. Um, you know, I, I was at all of their shows for a long time. Um, I'm branching out. I'm working uh, with Galaxy Con. Uh, a lot of local shows, so I got to give a shout out to uh, SoulCon, Space, Small Press and Alternative Comics Expo. Uh, I got to give some love to Gem City Comic Con, which is in Dayton, Ohio. Okay. Uh, Cincinnati Comic Con, uh, shout out to Andrew. He's done a great job of his show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Read Pop shows are phenomenal. New York, uh, C2E2, Emerald City, and now the newly acquired uh, SuperCon down in Florida. Wow. Um like I'm all over the place, all over the place. Tell us about uh, because we talked about this off mic. Um, you're gonna be at two cons, uh, Galaxy Con. Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, so Galaxy Con, uh, formerly known as SuperCon before uh, Repop bought that name, um, they're growing uh, a piece here. Like they they've been in the game for a few years, but like they've expanded now uh, to include four markets currently. So it's it's Raleigh is now their their hub. Uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. They're also in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, they're going to Minneapolis, Minnesota for the first time in just a few weeks. And then they're returning to Louisville, Kentucky, uh, which I believe last year was their first show there. And uh, I really like their vibe, man. Like they're they're a combination of many things. Like you have your celebrity centric shows, and they have celebs there, and they do a great job of getting good, you know, fan favorite celebs. Mm-hmm. But then they also take the time to make sure that everyone in the building knows that there are comic creators and legends in the room. Like, not just like, oh, there's, you know, the guy down the street that's local and we just gave him a spot. Okay. No, we're talking true legends. J. Michael Straczynski. We got, Ooh. you know, um, oh, my God, who all did I meet? Fabian Niciesa. We got, um, mm. I mean, like, like, oh, like it's such a list. Christopher Priest. Um, oh, you met the priest? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, all right. Dan Slott, Howard Chaikin, um, Jim Salakrup, like all these different guys that, you know, made the comics that that got me into the game, like, mm-hmm. and kept me there. So that showcase is huge. The amount of programming that they put on, they make sure that once you walk into that convention, you don't have to leave until, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning. There's something for you in some capacity. Okay. One way or the other, whether it's a party, a panel, or a chance to meet somebody, they have it there, and it is phenomenal. So I got mad love for GalaxyCon. So it sounds like you got your you you're like elbow deep into this whole uh, industry. Let me run this by you. I had a conversation with um, 
a brother who's a writer, editor, by the name of, I believe he goes by Noble Ward now. When I interview him, he's okay. C.R. Ward. He, uh, he wrote this book, uh, created this book called Vegas Baby, which is kind of like, uh, like Terminator, but in the city, like Terminator and, and Spencer for Hire or something like that. You know, oh, it's a very okay. interesting book. Um, but he, he said, he was saying that he kind of, he, he wished that the American comic book scene would evolve more into the manga scene like they have in Asia where, um, you know, one creator might do a few different books and then, you know, you can option those books into something else like, you know, animation or whatever, different things like that. Do you do you see the American indie comic scene or the big two comics? I mean, I know we got the big movies and stuff, but I mean, what's your what's your feeling on, say, indie, you know, kind of branching out and uh, benefiting from the exposure of the MCU and you know DC and DC movies no, no, no. And stuff yeah, like mean, that. Do, do you do you fair, see what I'm saying? Sort of drop there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you see um, that the indie properties being able to get out there and branch out into more mediums? Yes, they can. However, it's all about the tenacity of the creators, and I think that's the thing. The manga branch had enough creators at a certain point in time that they created an, an industry of transition for their properties. Okay. So you can come up with manga, but there already is an established market to transition it over into anime if it's that popular. Mm-hmm. So that becomes you know this outlet. Um, we don't have enough of that that setup yet. You know, we still have the mainstream market kind of you know, painting the, the, the kind of, kind of cornerstoning everything. And you kind of have to, you know, pick up what you can through there in, in the different, you know, outlets that you can find. Mm-hmm. I think the more that we have independent platforms mm-hmm. that, that feature film, animation, television, things like that, then the indie market can thrive. But it really still depends on the, the innovation and tenacity of the creator. So like for me, since 2006, any comic book movie that comes out in my hometown, mm-hmm. I try to set up in the lobby of a movie theater and my works. Because the thing is that those people are that are there, there's so many people that are going to see these comic book movies that aren't going to comic cons or going to comic shops. Right. So let's go to them. You know, oh, I think that's an idea. Okay. Thank you. Um, the biggest issue is that most creators are waiting for someone to find them mm. as opposed to find the people. And that's what I mean about being tenacious. You gotta, you gotta go out there. Um, I've been flirting with the idea for years, and I kind of kicked myself for not having done it yet. We see all kinds of backpack rappers that will approach you at the gas station. Yo, do you like hip hop? I've never seen a comic book creator do that. Wow. Ever. Okay. Why not? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I can see walking up to somebody. Hey, what's the last comic you read? Oh, I don't read comics. Well, let let me change that. Let me let me holler at you for a second. Okay. You know, um, I would love to see somebody. You know, I, I these are all ideas. Feel free to take them, people. Um, if you got public transit in your in your hometown, call it call it a public transit con where you hop on a bus and you stay there all day and just try to give your work away to people that get on the bus. Wow, they're all sitting there. They don't have nothing else to do. Mm. Those are people that are that are open readers. You know okay. what I'm saying? So okay. that's funny at- you mentioned that, man. I, I I I guess I'm doing something similar. What I do is I buy books. And I give them the parents for their kids to read. Perfect. You know what I mean? I, that's why I was, you know, asking, you know, and I, I buy so much off of Indie Planet. It's not even funny. 
and um and and I just you know certain books that you know that I like I buy them and then I give them to the parents because it's like you said they don't want to see read see Tick Run or uh, or right. you know Mark Twain or whatever but they'll read you know what I mean they'll read a comic oh, yeah. in a minute and I and uh, my focus is on black independent creators so when the parent sees that and a black face on they're like oh my god. Oh, what is this? I Hold on, know this me... existed. You know what I mean? Exactly. What planet are you from? It's like, yeah. Exactly. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. Like, there's there's a lot of noise out there. So you have to do your best in order to be seen, you know, amidst all this noise. And, and yes, Marvel and DC, you know, are going to get the most attention because they've been around for 80 years. Mm -hmm. But the truth is they weren't always Marvel and DC. Right. So if you just do your due diligence and you keep pushing, you keep grinding, you don't look at the end result and try to, you know, question why you're not there yet. Yeah. It took them 80 years to get there. Yeah. So if you're still within the first, you know, bit of infancy of that growth, just keep pushing. You know, uh, how many people realize that the X-Men got canceled? you know, right away. Like that book didn't last five years. Yeah. So, and is now one of the biggest properties in, in all of comics. Just keep pushing. Just keep pushing. Let's keep pushing. I remember, I don't know how old you were in 93, 94, when the black uh, comic expos were happening. I don't know if it was just a Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey thing, but there was something called the black expos where, you know, folk would run out of convention center and then there would be all kinds of, you know, like the the locticians and the shea yep. butter people, and then you had yep. the sculptors, and then you had the comics, and that's where I got introduced to uh, Brother Man Comics. Okay, and, okay. Uh, and so well, that I was, <clears throat> I interviewed um, Daoud Anyebuile and uh, and Roosevelt uh, Pitt Jr. Um, both of them in that short period, like ninety three, four, two ish, or whatever. I think the the number was like seven hundred thousand for Brother Man, and this was all right. hand to hand. You yep. know, these out of cars. Nation Islam was selling books, barber shops selling books, churches. Um, uh, uh, that's with the uh, Brother Man, and then I found out that somebody sent a bunch of books to Japan, and don't you know they started a goddamn anime off of that? I believe it. I started, believe it. And then, of course, it was there. Uh, what's the word I want to say? It was their version of the hood ghetto. They missed right? the essence of Brother Man. You know what I'm saying? But, you know what he do, man? Like, exactly. He, he tried. And then they had a couple live action movies off of it. I believe that too. See, and that's the other thing. The reason why I don't think that we'll actually have the same carryover for manga and such uh, with American comics is, number one, we're far more precious about our intellectual property. Okay. Over there... If you have an idea whether that thing belongs to you or not, you can kind of play with it, and it's somewhat encouraged. Mm. So, like, Dragon Ball GT was not done by Akira Toriyama. Like, he didn't have anything to do with that. They still, you oh, know, wow. created something, and I guess he kind of gave it his blessing, mm -hmm. but he had nothing to do with it. Okay. And, you know, once he came back into the fold, there were things that he pulled from it, but for the most part, he was like, okay, well, yeah, no, that didn't happen. Okay, that's, that's why I hate on it. The people I talk to think that's yes. not canon in quotes. Exactly. You know what I mean? Okay, and that's why because he had nothing to do with it. So okay. we would never allow something like that to happen with American comics. Um, even the creators that work for Marvel and DC, they still have to run their stories through a profit loss committee yeah. for them to even be able to tell the stories that they want to. Like if you think about that, like the the Dark Phoenix saga probably couldn't happen now 
because the notion of Jean Grey actually dying, mm-hmm. they'd be like, no, that would cost us too much money. We can't, we can't risk her being off the board like that. Mm. So there are things where the way that the industry has gone in its profitability has eliminated the creativity side of it mm-hmm. that manga and anime have never had that issue. They, they still trust like, look, if you don't like the anime, keep buying the book. That's okay. fine. The book will still the book will still continue and tell the stories that we intend to tell, and that's that. So you know that's that's one of those weird sort of things where, yeah, it would be nice if we had that sort of cultural immersion, mm-hmm. but at the same time, there's there's definitive reasons why we won't have that the way things are. Now we live in a very special time. We uh, we had our first you know African African American president. Right. And we got the MCU. I mean, who could have asked for more? You know, you know what I'm saying? It's like we see our favorite, some of our favorite heroes. You are. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so let me ask you this. Uh, so we got the MCU, all of the movies, you know, the, the, the Iron Man's and the Thor's and the Spider-Man's and, and, and the Black Panther and all that kind of stuff. And now you got, you know, the smaller stuff like the Luke Cages. I think they took them all off and put them on the app or whatever. But right. do you think that we're starting to get superhero movie TV show fatigue? No. No? Not even. Okay. No, 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 no. Okay. And I think what it is is there are there's so many people, like I said, that don't go to the comic shops. They don't go to comic conventions per mm-hmm. se. Mm-hmm. And this is all brand new stuff to them. The The only fatigue issue that really exists is for us long-term comic fans that have a dismay at the way that they're changing things okay. to address new consumers. And I'm guilty yeah. of it, too. I know like, what I'm you're referring to. You can say it straight here if you want to. I don't know. You, you know what I mean? But yeah, I got, I'm not looking forward to the phase, whatever phase coming out. I ain't looking forward to that shit, but go ahead. Right. Like, there's, there's a lot of stuff that we're just not going to... Like, okay, I didn't like Spider-Man Far From Home. Okay. And part of it, like, off-rip was this, you know, story that the trailer sold to us that Mysterio is from another dimension and he's a hero in that other dimension. Well, if you know anything about Mysterio, you don't believe any of that. No, like, he's a special from, effects like, guy, wasn't he? Yeah, like, he's a yeah. special effects guy. He creates illusions. There is no reason for me to believe this. Now... Right. I get it. They needed to create a movie that would introduce this character for the non, you know, long-term fans. I get that. Mm-hmm. However, you wasted an hour of my life to get to the actual story. You know what okay. I'm saying? Like I gotta uh, suffer through an hour so that the newbies can catch up. Yeah. I gotta be careful with that. You know, I it, it's hard not to be that way. Um, but I, I have to remember that. The goal here is to get more people interested in this type of material. Mm-hmm. And the more people that are interested in this type of material, eventually, uh, as we make it more accessible to them, it will carry over to be more financially beneficial to us as creators. Okay. So it's things like that that I, I you know, I, I got to, you know, kind of try not to bristle too hard. You know, oh, you changed that. And I wish you didn't. Um, but. You know, there are some things that we're, we're going to feel very precious about. So if anything, I would say that's the issue of the fatigue is not how much content is out there. Because, I mean, clearly that hasn't stopped us from reading books for 80 years. Mm-hmm. But if they keep changing things to suit or fit whatever stories that they are trying to tell, that might give us a little bit of that pause and say, OK, well, we're done supporting this thing because, you know, you guys can't get this right. Or, you, you know, you keep changing this or changing that. I got you. All right. I'm going to say this, and this is just my opinion. 
I'm not speaking for Victor, but uh, when, I, I like what they I like how they built the MCU. Right, they started with with um with Robert Downey Jr., which was right. a down and out actor. You know what I mean, and everything, yep. and all that kind of stuff. They took a big risk on that brother, but um, it, you know, it worked out, and all that kind of stuff. Um, they slowly built the franchise up, and everything was working. I think pretty good, except maybe Thor. For whatever reason, they seemed like, uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? But everybody, everybody else, everybody else was firing. Everybody pretty else solid. was fine. The one that was a little, little shaky. And then you know, I was like, okay, this is good. And then at the end of one of the movies, they showed Thanos' face. I was like, no, get the fuck. I mean, get the hell out of here. You know what I'm saying? No, that's real. And then, and, then, and then when I saw the airport scene, granted, it was cliched and running a line at each other. Okay, whatever. You know what I'm saying? Right. But I couldn't. That was one of those, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe oh, I'm seeing man. this shit, Giant Man. Come on, come and, on. And, I mean, you know what I'm saying? I was like, oh, we're my God. You know what I'm saying? So so I felt like that's the that was the summit. And so now they're gonna give us Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch and, and I don't give a fuck about none of these people. I know. You know what I, I mean? You know, what? Like, you know and you it, Okay. <sighs> let's let's be honest here. The yeah. truth is, yeah, that's the money talking. Okay. That's the money talking. Okay. If it, imagine imagine this world, right? In game happens and Marvel Studios says, and we're done. We're done. Mm-hmm. They go out on the highest note possible. As a as an independent creator, Marvel Studios is probably the greatest inspiration that we could ever have. Right. Because this is a this is a movie studio that started in the midst of Paramount, Universal, Fox, Disney, all these other entities existing and dominating mm-hmm. in the in the cinematic universe field, and they came in and not only carved a lane, but carved it so big that on average. All of their movies gross a billion dollars. On average. On God average. All of them gross that much money. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. that's a lot. That's huge. So if after Endgame, they go, mic drop, we're done. We're not doing this anymore. We already did it. We did the thing that nobody thought was possible. Mm-hmm. Not only did we come in, the new kids on the block make all the money. We made the characters that real talk everyone thought was ass. Okay? Yeah, B-level characters. was straight trash. Yeah. If it wasn't Spider-Man or X-Men, no one cared. They gave it less no than a one. damn. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So in, in less than 20 years, not even 15 years, yeah. they made Iron Man a household name. Yeah. Nobody cared about nobody. Iron Man. Nobody. Nobody cared about Captain America, Hulk, nope. Thor, the Avengers. Nope. No. Nobody. They made them everything yeah if if it was me in charge i'd be like we're done we're pulling a dave Chappelle. we're done right oh man but look at all the money look at all the money don't care we're done i made you 22 billion dollars you're good you're good you know what i'm saying so you know in that regard i wish i wish upper management had the tenacity to walk away Mm -hmm. but I understand, you know, money talks. The machine needs to keep moving as they see it. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna get more stuff. Now, All right, so since since we since we going with this MCU vibration, yeah. and this is the first time you and I are talking, I gotta have your impressions, feelings, thoughts on the impact of Black Panther. I know it wasn't a perfect movie, but just the impact of Black Panther. Start first with you seeing the trailers, and then go into the movie. So the first trailer that I saw. 
uh, it was during a sports event, if I'm not mistaken. I don't think it was a Super Bowl. But um, I remember watching it and feeling like straight intrigue. Like, I mean, like Black Panther was not a character that I was unfamiliar with or anything like that. But it was just like nobody bought the book. Right. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> it was like, I ain't gonna lie. What are they gonna do? I just want to know, like, how right. how real are they gonna keep this? Because right. let's let's be frank here. Even after seeing this movie, Black Panther was to shut us up. That's what it was. Because you can oh, literally, okay, if you think about this, if you think about this, if you watch the Road to Endgame and took Black Panther out of it, what do you lose? I wouldn't have watched it. To be honest or, with you, I, I probably would have waited till it came out on Netflix or something. I went to the theater to see Black Panther. Oh, I'm not mad at that. No, yeah, that's 100. Yeah, yeah. But the thing is that Black Panther, by design, is a self-enclosed or self-contained story. Right. Like it doesn't really impact the other MCU stuff at all. Like mm-hmm. even the stuff that they set up in Black Panther, they don't really reference beyond Bucky showing up at the end. That's the only connection. So you saying it was an afterthought? That's what you're saying? It wasn't part of the original plan? It was it was literally put together. If you watch it with this in mind, if you and you'll see it. If you take Black Panther out, you can still watch all the movies from Avengers One to Endgame. And the only thing that you're missing is who Shuri Mbaku uh and no no, that's it. Who Shuri and Mbaku and maybe You know what? uh, You make a good motherfucking point. Right, because like you see Black Panther in, in uh, 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 Civil War, you see the Dora Milaje in Civil War. So the specificity of of uh, Okoye to any other Dora Milaje is irrelevant. Uh, there's nothing that they do that actually references beyond it. Even to the point where at the end of Black Panther, they open their borders up, right? Mm-hmm. So why in Infinity War when they go to Wakanda, they still have the dome up? They still have the pretend thing like you're going to fly into the forest. That don't make no sense. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right? Like they revealed themselves like two years ago. Why do they still have that up? They told everybody what they are. So Mm. Black Panther literally was produced and put out there to make us shut up so that we would stop asking for it. And the messed up part is it made so much money Mm -hmm. they had to change their game. In Infinity War, I don't think nearly as much of Wakanda was used initially. It was after Black Panther made that much money yeah. that they were like, "We got to go back and include more of this." And they made it. They made that Black Panther made money quickly. Oh, Black Black Panther made more money domestically than Infinity War did. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Like that's how much money it made. It made more money in the U.S. than Infinity War, and I mean, Infinity War made tons and tons of millions of dollars here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I get more money. I remember so, watching YouTube. I went through this binge of watching people's Black Panther review. <clears throat> and it was this little girl. She might have been, I don't know, 20-some years old. She was from the Philippines. Okay. And uh, she did this review of Black Panther. And, oh, my gosh, da 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 And she said that um, two things that stuck in my mind. One... Um, she said that people in her area came to the to to the to the, the theater in traditional dress. Okay. I don't know what that's. I know black people was either coming in in these dashikis or dressing like coming to America. Right. I know that some folks in Africa they was coming in traditional dress, but the Philippines, 
<laughs> I was like, okay, okay. So black, so black, what they perceive as black culture gives you permission to be yourself. It's kind of always been like that, you know, if you study Absolutely. the history. And then Absolutely. the other piece was she said she recognized people amongst her group that reminded her of Killmonger. And wow. so that's that kind of, um, you know, every man, you know, struggle against the, you know, that kind of vibe. So I felt like, I felt like Black Panther had a significant impact in a way that other movies didn't. Am I like uh, rosy colored glasses in your opinion, or what do you think? Not at all. I tell you, okay. So the realest of real representations of that. How many young white boys and girls did you see running around in Black Panther costumes? I've seen lots of them. Wow. Okay. So, like what that what that says to me is. This movie and the the impact that it has is so big that for the maybe the first time ever, white kids were looking at a black superhero as just a hero, mm-hmm. irrelevant of his of his racial you know skin tone sure. any of that. Sure. They were just like Black Panther is dope. I want to be Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Period. That's huge. When you like. So as a as a black comic creator, I say that that defines what I am, not who I am. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily dictate the things that I create, but I have to acknowledge that that's how some people are going to see me. Sure. So I don't I don't shy away from that. But it's also why when it comes to black comic cons, I was not so active in that market. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to just be a black comic creator. I want to be a good one. Mm-hmm. I want to be a good comic creator, mm-hmm. regardless of what my skin tone, racial background, ethnicity, religious, you know, any of that. I just want to be a good comic creator that people liked period sure, sure so once black panther hits that level where regardless of of you know his color anything people are are loving him mm-hmm. that's huge that's that's impact that's 100 what that is yeah, yeah so i, can, I, I, I can, agree with that yeah i could definitely dig that so um now i'm having so much fun but i want to be mindful of your time i promise you uh 30 minutes and see it's only been an hour <laughs> so, I mean, it's what happens. We're vibing. We're vibing. So, so let me ask you this now. I'm going to ask you for the fix. How can DC, DCU fix, fix they shit? Because other than the Batman fighting scene, I just feel like their movies is trash. What, what's your thoughts? So the first thing is, is that DC has to recognize their place in the game. Unlike Marvel Studios, which, yes, they made a lot of money introducing these characters. The truth is, more people know and like DC characters than they did Iron Man, Cap, and Thor when they started. Right. So the first thing that they should have done is start with Justice League. Don't origin story any of these guys. We right. know their origin story. Right. It's a part of Americana. Exactly. Like we're bo- My daughter knows, and she's two, she knows what <laughs> Superman is. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, right. Like she, she's there. She already understands that. So you don't have to give that to her from jump. Just trust that we know. How many yep. times do we have to see the Waynes die in the alley? <laughs> damn it! I know the pearls. I know the pearls. Okay. Every time they die, like every time. Here we Come go. On. Here we go again. Like, you don't have to do that. It could just be Batman. Right. Boom. Like just start with Batman. You're good. Okay. We get it. We know where he came from. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is, is be authentic to what the characters represent. Right. Who they are. Um, I had a huge problem with Wonder Woman. Um, and this was crazy. Like I was on a panel, I was in California, I was on a panel and it was with um, 
uh, cosplayer Ivy Doom Kitty, who's one of the most you know prolific, famous female cosplayers of all time. Okay. Janice Davis, who was a wonderful female YA writer, and Trina Robbins, who was the very first female uh, penciler for Wonder Woman. And oh, wow. okay. this panel talking about you know how much they love Wonder Woman, and it's so great. And I was like, I didn't like it. And they're like, wait, what? And I was like, I'm gonna tell you real for real, it was not did, empowered. Did you, did you have security? I did, man, I should have. Because because so in this in this day and time, you criticize the female character, man. You, you, you that's your life, baby. <laughs> but I had to keep it 100. I had to keep it 100. I said this movie was not as empowering to women as it should have been. And I had I had one lady. She stood up in the audience like you're wrong. And I said that's your opinion, and that's cool. I said hear me out. Hear me out. I said we'll start on this small level. Out of this whole movie, there are three gods that are that are listed by name. Three. Zeus, Ares, and I think Athena. Only Athena is, is the only female god that they mention by name, and she's killed off screen. Why is that? And they're like, whoa. Like, even Miss Trina, she was looking at me. She's like, you know what? I had a problem with that, too. I said, I had a huge problem with that. Like, a huge problem with that. What said, ever happened I, to Hera? Give me strength. They ain't do that line. You see what I'm saying? Hera wasn't even named. Damn, they didn't have Hera? Oh, my God. Okay. They didn't even mention her. So I'm like, come on. How is that? I said, let's let's go a step further. I said, everything that Diana did in this movie was because a guy told her to do it or told her she couldn't do it. I said, I don't know about y'all, but Wonder Woman is is not asking for permission from anybody. That's not what she does. She is a leader. She is a tried and true general when it comes to handling business. There is no reason for her to ask permission from anyone. In fact, if you're a fan of the of the original inc incarnation of the story, her mother told her you're not to take part in this challenge to try to take this man back to the real world. I don't want that for you. And she was like, you're not going to tell me what to do. I'm mm. wondering. I'm I'm about me. She doesn't leave the island until uh, uh, Steve Trevor gives her some advice from his father. Then she decides I'm gonna go. Oh, I'm gonna leave now. I'm gonna go get the uh, the suit and all this stuff. And I had people that was like, "Well, she was gonna leave anyway." Do you ever believe that when you when I have to tell you to do something and then you're like, "Oh, I was gonna do that anyway." I don't believe you. Mm. You gotta show that to me. The best way that you could have shown it to me is if she had that conversation with Steve when they're at the little tub thing or whatever, mm -hmm. and he says what he says. She goes, all right, you can come with me. She takes off a robe, and she's already got the suit. Then we already get that impression. She was going to leave one way or the other. She was just finding out whether or not he was worthy of coming with her. That's a different presentation. The no man's land crossing thing, trash. Because here's the thing. Wonder Woman, once she talked to the to the lady and she said, oh, they're killing us, they're destroying our kids, this, that, and the other, my Wonder Woman starts crossing the, the battlefield. Right. She's not going to Steve to be like, hey, we got to go help him. We got to do this. We got to do that. And when he says, no, we can't do that, she's like, well, I'm going to show you. She would just do it. Mm. It would be a matter of Steve turning around going, where's Diana? Oh, my God. And boom. She's already handling business because mm -hmm. that is Wonder Woman. Mm. She is not like and I, I mean, I've been on panels where, you know, this guy straight up and down. He was from Philly. He was like, yo, you know, when I go to a foreign country, I don't try to presume like I know everything. I don't try to do that. And I said, yeah, that's cool. I respect that. I said, did you ever go to a foreign country with the intent that you're going to save them from themselves? And he goes, well, no, I said, that's literally why she said she was coming to man's world. Mm. So all of a sudden she makes this determination that I'm going to save you from you because you can't do it, but I'm going to let you tell me how I'm supposed to do that. 
What? Okay. That's- All right. So so then let me let me throw this let me throw this oh, in the oh, mix. Oh, oh. Your your idea of Wonder Woman is it in sync with what Bruce Timonen was doing with the Justice League Justice League Unlimited? I think it's closer to that. Okay. Where what what that Wonder Woman was about was she understood her power mm-hmm. and she wasn't afraid to use it. The only thing that she had to figure out was how best to affect man's world, which she was not as familiar with. Mm-hmm. But she brought her own ideas to the equation all the time. Mm-hmm. She wasn't going to be relegated to anything because she was a woman or because she was new. She was like, well, this is what I think about this. And okay. we can discuss it. You can tell me your perspective. And if you're right, we'll try it. Cool. I like what you're saying. Cool. Then we can do that. But at no point was it a matter of her being led by anybody, like mm-hmm. not at all. She she made her own choices. And you felt that from from episode one. All right. All right. I, I never thought about it that deep, man. Uh, the, the only problem I had with it, and what you're saying is profound. And uh, the only thought I had was the casting. I didn't want okay. this uh, this sister to be there. You know, you ever see a underworld with? The, of course. I thought well, some. Kate Beckinsale. Well, one, I really wanted her to be Scarlet. I mean, I really wanted her to be Black Widow for real, for real. Ooh. You know what I mean? Ooh. But some, okay. one one of the sisters from one of those movies, Ultraviolet, or one of them. Uh, what's the one with the with the with the Umbrella Corporation, the zombies? Right, right, right. Somebody like uh, that. You know what Mila I mean? Jokovic. Yeah, just, but you know, whatever, whatever. So, 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 would you agree that after Nolan's, um, you know, Batman, the DC fell off? You would agree with that? I believe that they didn't have a clear direction of what they wanted. Okay. And I think that was the problem. Like they were, they didn't have a clear direction of what they wanted and they were trying to play catch up to Marvel studios. Okay. So they, they had already put themselves behind the eight ball unnecessarily. They saw Marvel studios was doing his thing and they're like, Oh, we want some of that action, but they didn't recognize what they had. Like I said, if you just start off with these characters already at play, mm-hmm. who's going to question it? Who's going to sit there and be like, after 80 years, we don't know who Superman is. Right. We don't know who Green Lantern is. Right. Like, that's crazy talk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So go for go forward with the, the big thing. Because if you figure Man of Steel came out, I think, like a year or two after Avengers. Okay. It took years to get to Avengers. Mm-hmm. What if you just started off with Justice League? Boom. We're not even going to make you wait. You mm-hmm. get it good right now. Bow. Here's a full meal. All the heroes you can imagine. Boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. We had never seen that before. Yeah. You know, that would have been tremendous. Even if they had done, you know, and, and mind you, uh, Harry Potter, they did their last movie in two parts. That's a Warner Brothers piece right there. So Marvel Studios learned from them. Mm-hmm. You know, they the, the Deathly Hallows came out part one, part two. They, they learned from what Warner Brothers could do. If Warner Brothers could just be confident in themselves mm-hmm. and the products that they had, man, would have been crazy. Okay. Would have been crazy. Okay. All right. Wow, man. We've been having a wonderful conversation, ladies and gentlemen, with the great Victor Dandridge. I've been taking up a lot of his time, picking his brain on, on some thoughts you guys probably have had. Um, you've been a full-time uh, uh, comic book uh, writer, uh, for for a while, what advice would you give people who are trying to uh, make this their full time gig? Ooh, uh, the advice that I would give you is create as much as you possibly can. Um, don't start off with your your most precious, most favorite, your biggest idea. 
create a lot of small ones because you'll make a lot of mistakes along the way. Don't make those mistakes on the thing that you that matters the most to you. You know, um, do that on things that you you wouldn't mind if it's not the greatest. Okay. What if they say, "Well, I live in a small town in uh, in Ohio." I mean, you know, there's no comic books thing happening here. I mean, what would you what would you say? Create to it. Them? Create it. You okay. want to see that vibe? Make it. You know, there's nothing to stop you. The the barrier for entry is is zero now. This might even be negative three at this point. <laughs> you can make comics on any level, every measure possible. So if there are no comics in your town, that's perfect. There's no competition. There's nothing to stop you. You are the king uh, or queen of, of your opportunity right there. You got to capture that one. Okay. Okay. So if people want to, uh, to support you, they want to buy your books, or maybe there's a, a producer out there or an artist that might be looking for a writer for Bring their character. I mean, how can they reach out to you? If you guys uh, follow me on social media at Vantage Inhouse on Twitter and Instagram, uh, I'm actually getting ready to launch a, a Kickstarter uh, that's actually a remarketing of a series called The Trouble with Love that I did with Harold Edge. And the reason why we're doing a, a relaunch of it is we actually have the sequel called Never Too Late that's currently in production. The first issue's done. We have three more issues to go. And we kind of want to use this as a marketing platform and a crowdfunding venture to fund the rest of the project. So okay. uh, that one actually launches the beginning of next month. Look out for The Trouble with Love. Um, it, think about it like this. Uh, it's a Superman-type character who has a wife and a family but then falls in love with someone else. Ooh. And years later, his son is like, Dad, why? Oh, why wow. did this happen? Yeah, yeah, we get we get real with it, man. Okay, I love telling right. the whole story. Uh, I like that, man. I like that. Is this your Thank first you. Kickstarter? Um, no, we actually did a Kickstarter earlier this year for my You Create Comics project, okay. which is a uh, educational system that I've built in a, a programming structure that I've been using at schools to try to use comics to to kind of you know push kids in education, like me. I didn't like to read, like I said, and comics changed all that. So I'm trying to create a program that will give back to the medium and really showcase the benefits. Fantastic, fantastic. Mr. Victor Dandridge, it's been an honor to have you on the program. Thank you. Thank you.